Today we're continuing our message series, which we've, uh, which I've called "Living in the Spirit." Living in the Spirit, we're talking about living life with the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives, and uh, we've been in this series for I forget how many Sundays. Well, it says right there, this is part five, so that means this is the fifth Sunday in the series. If you missed any of the series, I'd encourage you to watch them online. Uh, they're on our website. They're also we have a YouTube channel. And so we're talking about the importance of being uh, baptized in the Spirit, of being continually filled with the Spirit, so that uh, God's power helps us to live the life that God commands us to live. Now today our message topic is called the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to start with some of Jesus' teaching on, on fruit bearing, and then we're going to talk about how each of us can develop the Spirit's fruit in the different areas of our life. So we're going to begin in, in actually nine areas of our life. We're going to begin in John chapter 15. And I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the outline there with the verses. They'll be up on the screen as well. On the back are study questions uh, that you can use in your own prayer time. Uh, we encourage everyone to spend at least 15 minutes a day reading their Bible and praying, to stay connected to God. Now, that's a minimum. Uh, we, we want you to grow in your walk with God. Jesus said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Underline that word, nothing. So when you think you can do it all by yourself, God says you can do nothing apart from me. And so here Jesus gives us a picture of what a believer's life is like. A believer is like a branch that's joined to the vine of, say, a grape plant. And Jesus is that vine. He is the, the main stalk. He is the one that's uh, rooted down in the ground. And he says the branch or believer that remains in the vine, some translations say abides in the vine, that branch is going to bear much fruit. You're going to bear a lot of fruit. And a branch that is not attached to the vine obviously can't bear any fruit. You know, a branch gets cut off, a branch falls off, it's not going to bear any fruit. Jesus continues in verse 6, he says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so Jesus tells us what happens if a branch, what happens if a believer doesn't remain attached to the vine? If he doesn't remain attached to Jesus, well, what happens is that that branch is not going to be of any use. It's not going to bear any fruit. It's detached from the living, growing vine, and it's going to wither, it's going to die, and ultimately it's going to be burned in the fire. In the same way, Jesus is saying that well, who does the branch represent? It represents a believer. And a believer who stops believing will spiritually die and ultimately be cast into hellfire. And so the bottom line is every true believer is going to bear much fruit as they remain attached to the vine who is Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you uh, remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so now Jesus begins to explain 
How can we bear fruit? As we remain attached to him, how can we bear fruit? And so not only must we remain attached to Jesus through believing, through faith, but we must allow his words, God's word, Jesus' words, to be embedded in our lives. His words must remain or abide in us. And when those two conditions are met, we can pray. And in this verse, you might underline whatever. You can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, how can Jesus make such a promise? How can he make such a blanket promise? Well, because when those two conditions are met, when we remain in Jesus, when we, our faith in him is strong, number one. Number two, when his words abide in us, we know God's words, we have a commitment to live out God's word, then every prayer that we pray will be in keeping with God's will. And he's going to answer those prayers. And when he answers those prayers, we are bearing fruit for him. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Verse 10 in John 15, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so this verse gives us the key to remaining in Jesus. We must believe, and keep his commands. Disobedience separates us from remaining in Christ. Obviously, disobedience is sin. And so as we remain in the vine, as we keep Jesus' commands, as we obey him, we bear fruit. So what is the fruit that we bear as believers? First of all, it's the attitudes and character that's formed in us by the Holy Spirit. And these attitudes will lead to obedience to God's word and godly behavior in our lives. Obedience and godly behavior will lead to us being powerful witnesses for Jesus Christ. And when we bear witness for Jesus, that will need, lead to new believers. And that's really the ultimate goal of bearing fruit. It's reproduction of our spiritual lives. Each of us reproducing, bringing new birth spiritually to those around us, bringing the eternal life that God has placed in us, introducing others to that gift as well. And so today we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the attitudes and character of Jesus that the Spirit grows inside each and every believer. The basic verse is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Most translations have patience here. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, we're not going to do that today. We could. That would be another message. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we can see that each of these fruit of the Spirit, each of these character attributes is perfectly represented in his life. And we are to follow Jesus' example. As a believer, I mean, as a Christian, Christian means someone who is like Jesus. Christian means someone who follows Jesus. And so, as a believer, we are to become more and more like him in each and every way. So, we're going to see how we can bear the Spirit's fruit. Now, I've chosen to divide the nine fruits we're going to look at into three groups of three to highlight different aspects of our character and attitude 
that, uh, that apply to each of us. Now we're going to be moving pretty rapidly because we're going to go through nine fruit uh, before two this afternoon. So, <laughs> so I'd like you to think about which fruit is God highlighting in your life. Nine is just too many to work on at once, okay? But God's going to highlight one, maybe two, that you need to work on in your life. So don't get overwhelmed because, you know, Pastor Dan has nine points this morning. Okay, just God's going to highlight one or two that you need to work on. It's going to be different for everybody here. And that's what you need to pray about and implement in the coming uh, weeks. So, again, I could easily teach uh, a message or two on each of these spirits. In fact, each of these fruit, I could... I could do a whole sermon series on just one fruit. I mean, love. I mean, how many verses in the Bible are on love? I could teach for a whole series on that. But we're going to very briefly talk about them this morning. So in the first set of, of three of these fruits, I want to show what these fruit have to do with our relationship with God. Now, oftentimes the fruit of the Spirit is just talked about in relation to other people. And yes, they do apply to other people too. But I want us not to miss out on how the fruit of the Spirit actually helps us to relate to God as well. The first fruit is love. And what I want to highlight is that love is loving God with all that you have. Jesus said in Mark 12, 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I want to note, as we get started looking at these nine fruits of the Spirit, that each of these verses we're going to look at is a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. Each of these verses is a command. And here Jesus commands us to love God with everything that we have. And so we are not to love God with 50% of who we are. We're not to love God with 90% or 95% and re reserve our love, the other 5%, for something that is not of God. We are to love God with everything that we have. Now, love is not primarily an emotion. Most people think of love as an emotion. But Jesus taught in John 14, verse 15, we don't have time to look at, that if we love him, we will obey his commands. In fact, love is expressed in obedience. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. Loving God means obeying him. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to have complete control of our lives, we're going to grow in our love and obedience for God. Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are going to, as we submit our lives to Him, we're going to love God with everything that we have. That's the first fruit of the Spirit. The next fruit is joy. Joy is receiving answers to your prayers. This might be a little different way of looking at it. But Jesus said in John 16, 24, to his disciples and to you and I, if we're believers today, we are his disciples as well. He says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Oftentimes people look to their circumstances to find joy. And if you look at your circumstances to find joy, you're going to be disappointed. As who among us has perfect circumstances this day, or this week, or next week, where everything just works out wonderfully? If you look to your circumstances to find joy, it's not found there. 
Joy is not found ultimately in human relationships. Joy comes from our, rela our relationship with God. And Jesus here tells us an important secret in living a life of joy, a life full of joy. He commands us to pray and to ask in his name. And when we do that, he promises that we'll receive what we've asked for, and that will result in joy. In fact, complete joy. Your joy will be complete when you receive answers to your prayers. Now, for many people, prayer is a frustrating experience, not a joyful one. And why is that? I believe the primary reason is when we ask, sometimes we think, to ask in Jesus' name is to tack on the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen. That's not a bad thing to say. I usually say that. But to ask in Jesus' name is to ask in his name. In fact, it would be more honest for many of us, myself included, to tack on the end of my prayers, in Dan's name I pray, amen. Because... We tend to pray for things that we want. We tend to pray for things that we think are going to benefit us. And God doesn't answer those prayers. And we get frustrated. But when we ask in Jesus' name, we ask for things that are for Him, that are for His kingdom, things that He wants, things that are God's will. Those prayers are always answered. And as they're answered, it brings great joy into our lives. That is a secret to joy. Number three, as we fly through these nine, peace is the absence of fear. Again, Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so Jesus wants you to have peace. He wants you to have peace in your hearts. And what do you have to do? Well, first of all, you have to receive the, the peace. He says he's giving it to us. It's a gift. And all the gifts that God gives to us have to be received. We have to open our hearts to receive the peace that Jesus wants us to give. But he commands us in the last part of this verse to not let our hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And so Jesus is telling us then, if you have a troubled heart, if you're afraid, if you're stressed out, that's a choice that you made. You say, well, it's my circumstances. Pastor, if you would know what I'm dealing with, you'd know I'm, why I'm afraid. You'd know why I'm troubled. Jesus gives us a command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. It's a choice. You can choose to obey him. Or not to obey him. God never commands us to do something that we can't do. Everything he commands us to do, we can do as we rely on him for strength. And if you make a choice to let your hearts be troubled, if you make a choice to be afraid, then you can't receive his peace. And so we must choose, with God's help, to reject worry, to reject fear, to reject a troubled heart, and accept his gift of peace into our hearts, into our minds. And so these three fruit that we've looked at today, God wants us to grow in these three fruits. The fruit of our love towards God, joy and answered prayer, and peace in the midst of a troubled world.
And to grow in these fruit of the Spirit, we must follow the commands that God gives us. It's not going to happen naturally. I've heard a lot of teaching about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and it's taught that you don't have to do anything to bear the fruit. You're a believer, you're just naturally going to bear fruit. And that's not the case. That's what, what God's Word says. Fruit grows as we remain in Christ, as we abide in Him by keeping His commands. And that requires diligence, it requires perseverance, it requires reliance on the help of the Spirit of God. So we're one-third of the way through. The next set of fruit is related to bearing the Spirit's fruit with respect to others, other people. And so we need to have the attitudes and character of Jesus, not only towards God, but to people around us. Now, obviously, the first three apply to people as well. We need to not only love God, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we're going to uh, move on to other fruits. And in many ways, it's, it's more difficult to relate to other people than to relate to God. And why is that? Well, God is perfect. God is good. God has never done anything wrong. I mean, why should anybody have a problem with God, but yet many people do? Uh, because they don't understand. But God is love. And so it should be easy to love God. God loved us before we even loved Him. I mean, what a wonderful person that God is. But people, the people around us, including myself, are not perfect. We've all figured that out, right? People do wrong things. People sin. People hurt us. And so it's, it's hard to relate to people. And when somebody hurts us, when somebody does wrong to us, we need to learn to react the way that Jesus would. The fourth fruit is patience. Patience forgives those who hurt you. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so to bear with somebody is to have patience. Somebody hurts you, you bear with them. Uh, the opposite, of course, is, is to... Uh, to get angry with them, to try to take revenge. And so when somebody hurts you, you have a grievance. Maybe a legitimate grievance. I mean, they really did something wrong. They really hurt you. You have a choice to make. Uh, you can get angry at them. You can attempt to retaliate, to take revenge, to not speak to them, to cut them off. Or you can patiently forgive them. You say, well, how can I do that? I, well, we are to forgive, it says as the Lord forgave us. And how did the Lord forgive us? Well, did he die for us on the cross when we were his friends or enemies? He died when we were his enemies, when we wanted nothing to do with him. He took the first step, even when we had wronged him, even when we had hurt him. He chose to forgive us. And we must do the same for others, to patiently forgive them. And so kindness... Kindness goes a step further than patience and forgiveness. Kindness does right in response to wrong. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And so the human nature, what wells up inside of us when somebody hurts us, is to want to hurt them back. You know, he punched me, I'm going to punch him. That's not from God. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Not only does it forgive the other person and say, I'm not going to hold this against you, but kindness treats them kindly. Kindness does something positive towards them. Kindness is treating somebody else like a friend, like a member of your family, of being 
kind to them in each and every way. It's doing what's right for the other person, what God would have you do. The sixth fruit is goodness, which is related to kindness, but goodness is working for the good of others. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Bible tells us God is good. Some people doubt that, but God's word is true. God is good. He's good all the time in everything he does. In our good God, he works for the good of those who love him. And that means that God is working for you to have the best possible life on this earth, to have the best possible eternity you could ever have. The eternity and life on this earth that he created you to have. That's what good means. And as we develop the fruit of goodness in our life, we're going to be working for the good of others. And what is the good of others? It's the same as God has towards us. We work for the good of others by working for them to have the best possible life on this earth and the best possible eternity they could have. And what is that? That's life with Jesus. It's eternal life. Here, now, in this life, and forever. The life and eternity that God created for them. And so not only does the fruit of the Spirit help in our relationship with God, it helps in our relationships with other people, both those who are believers and those who are not. And patience, forgiveness, kindness, and goodness don't come easily. We need God's help. We need the Spirit of God to help us to bear that fruit as we abide in Jesus and we let his word abide in us. And so the more that you read God's word, you know, Sunday mornings, 30 minutes is not enough. That's just not enough. We're bombarded with all kinds of other things. And we need to take in God's word each and every day to stand strong, to continue to grow in him. The more that you read God's word, the more that you pray, both with your mind and with the Spirit, the more you're going to obey and bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. With respect to forgiveness, sometimes I hear people say, I could never forgive that person for what they did to me. And I always wince when I hear that because Jesus, we don't have time to look at it, had a clear teaching, just read at the end of the Lord's Prayer. If you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. And so we must forgive other people. Because if God doesn't forgive us, we're in deep trouble. You know what that means. You're going to spend eternity in a place you don't want to spend. So you must forgive others. We must forgive in order to be forgiven. It's God's command. And he never commands us to do anything that we can't do with his help. Without, that we can't do with his help. And so if you're having trouble forgiving somebody... Uh, come forward for prayer. It's very important that you forgive people who have hurt you, even people who have hurt you very deeply. It's part of growing the fruit of the Spirit, bearing fruit for Christ. Our final group of fruit is related to bearing the Spirit's fruit in battle. You know, in life we have interactions with basically three realms. Uh, First of all, we relate to God, the kingdom of God and his angels. You know, everything's good up there. Uh, Everything's perfect. We relate to that realm. Secondly, we relate to people. Uh, People are all around us. And there's there's people who are 
saved and there's people who are not saved. There's only two categories of people in the world, those that are saved and not. We relate to people. And the third realm that we relate to is the kingdom of darkness, uh, Satan and his demonic spirits under his control. And so we've talked about how the fruit of the Spirit <coughs> helps us relate to God, how it helps us to relate to other people. Now we're going to talk about how it helps us in our ongoing warfare with Satan and his forces. Our first fruit here is faithfulness. Uh, faithfulness stewards all of God's gifts. We'll explain that in a minute. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It's required of those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And so as a believer, you have been given a trust. As a believer, God has entrusted precious gifts to you. He's given you the gift of Jesus. He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given you the gift of eternal life. He's given you the gifts of the Spirit. He's given you the gift of life itself. He's given you the gift of resources. For most of us, he's given us the gift of family. And the list could go on and on. And the gifts that God has given you are not simply for you to use for yourself. In fact, he doesn't just give you a gift and say, here, this is yours. Do with as you please. The gifts that God has given us have been given to us to steward. And what that means is that we are to use the gifts that God has given us, not for our benefit, but for his. They're still his. We're just a steward of the gifts. We're just using them for our master. And the battle comes with the enemy tempting us to be unfaithful with the gifts that God has entrusted to us. He tempts us to use the gifts to fulfill our own desires and not God's will. He tempts us to use the finances that God has given to us the way we want rather than the way God wants. He tempts us in our finances to use our finances to meet our needs first and give God the leftovers if there's anything left rather than being faithful and giving God the first fruits, the tithe, and then trusting him to meet our needs. If we prove unfaithful with the gifts that God has given us, then we have no confidence in our eternal destiny. We must prove to be faithful. It's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Number eight, gentleness is reflected in a humble witness. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. That should be a familiar verse. Right, Darlene? That's our VBS verse. I just remembered that right now. Uh, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so this verse we relates to how we are to be witnesses for Christ our Lord. And the command here, there's a command, be prepared. We need to be prepared to answer the questions that people around us have. So that's something we have to do. But not only must we be prepared to answer the questions, when we answer the questions, we must answer with an attitude of gentleness and respect. That's not always easy. Emotions get involved that are not from the Spirit of God. And we may answer others 
truthfully, but with harshness and disrespect. And that isn't going to lead others closer to Christ. When you talk to others, when you read news on the internet, when you watch television, have you ever been tempted to give somebody a piece of your mind? Nobody but me? Uh, when I think that, uh, I'm not thinking gentle and respectful. And so I usually have to, or I always must, uh, reject that temptation uh, to respond harshly, to respond, uh, even if I'm right, to respond in a way that is not with gentleness and respect. To be a humble witness, somebody that witnesses with gentleness, is to have the greatest opportunity to win another person for Christ, to speak the truth in love, to speak the truth with gentleness. Knowing that people who don't understand the truth, their eyes have been blinded by Satan. And what's going to open their eyes? Well, people who treat them with gentleness and respect, not people who argue, people that yell, uh, whether it's physically yelling or typing in all caps in an email or whatever. Um, we are to witness humbly with the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. And finally, self-control resists Satan's temptations. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. This is the last fruit of the spirit. Some people have said this is the most difficult fruit to develop in our lives, the fruit of self-control. Self-control is the ability to withstand Satan's temptations with God's help. And what is the command here in 1 Peter? The command is to be self-controlled and alert. If God commands us to be self-controlled and alert, we can do it with his help, but it's something that we have to do. And the reason that we have to be self-controlled and alert is that Satan is prowling around like a hungry lion seeking to devour you, to devour people in your family, to devour other people. And this is not just a hypothetical threat. He is daily devouring people. He is pulling people away from God. He's destroying people. And his prime weapons are temptations. When you give in to his temptation, then you don't have self-control. You are not relying on God. You fall into temptation. Now, temptation itself is not sin, but when we give in to temptation, that's where the sin comes in. When you sin, when you, don't, when you are not self-controlled, you give over control to him, to give him power to devour and destroy your life. But with self-control, you can resist the devil, you can stand firm, resist his temptations, and stand firm in your faith. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. And so each of us is in a battle with Satan. Every believer is in a battle with Satan. He's out to destroy you. He's out to destroy your witness. We must determine to be faithful with the gifts that God has entrusted us. And he's entrusted each of us many gifts. God wants us to be witnesses, but gentle witnesses that treat others with respect. We are to grow in self-control so we can resist the devil's temptations. And as we do, we'll become more and more like Jesus. We will 
bear fruit for him. And so today we've looked at nine fruit of the Spirit. And it's not two o'clock yet. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we've organized these fruit into dealing with our relationship with God, our relationship with others in our spiritual warfare with the enemy. So let's, let's come to a conclusion here by recalling Jesus' teaching in John chapter 15 about fruit bearing. How do we as believers bear much fruit? How do we bear the fruit of the Spirit? Well, we bear much fruit by remaining attached to Jesus, by building that relationship with Him and obeying His commands. And as we remain attached to Him through faith and obedience, as His Word remains in us, our prayers are powerful. Our prayers will be answered. And that will lead to much joy in our lives. And ultimately, not only will we become more like Jesus in character, that will result in becoming more like Jesus in our behavior and in the effectiveness of our lives for Him. And ultimately, bearing fruit involves reproducing ourselves. Our fruit will result in unbelievers being saved and added to the family of God. And so my prayer is that God would help each of us in our church, to bear much fruit for Jesus. Now, in order to bear fruit for Jesus, obviously you have to be a believer. You have to, an unbeliever is not attached to the vine. They can't bear any fruit for God. They can do nothing of any use for God. And so, to become attached to the vine in the first place, you have to become a believer. To become a believer, you need to admit that you've sinned. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven, rose from the dead, and you commit your life to following him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. If you're not a believer here this morning, or you're not sure, or perhaps you want to recommit your life to him, perhaps you feel like your attachment to the vine is a, is a bit shaky, and you really want to get plugged back in. I'd encourage you to recommit your life to Christ this morning. Pray along with me something like this. Father, today I admit that I've, I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I, I haven't been attached to you as I should. I've simply been doing what I wanted to do. Please forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross and took the penalty for my sin. You rose from the dead three days later. I put my faith and trust in you as my Savior. And I commit myself to following you as my Lord, to obeying your commands, that I might remain in you. Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.